Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 32 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to J.J. Abrams and the extended Bad Robot universe. I am your co-host, Matt Crandall, here with Marcelo Inostroza. We are deep in the woods on Lost Season 1. This week, we are taking a look at episodes 15, 16, and 17 as we continue our journey into what the hell is going on on this island. First off, episode 15, Homecoming, which is a Charlie flashback-centric episode written by Damon Lindelof. Marcelo, what did you think of Homecoming? Homecoming was possibly my favorite of this batch. And the thing that I love about Homecoming is that um, I was actually wondering what happens to um, actors who aren't who aren't specifically in every episode. Like, do they actually have to show up to, uh, to work and set when they're not on the call sheet for the day? Perhaps, Matt, you can bring some light to that issue. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure. And I know that this episode featured like a lot of people just kind of in the background or doing stuff. But um yeah, I'm not sure the exact specifics of how they would work around that, especially with such a huge cast. The main reason why I mentioned that is because um, we haven't seen Claire for a while. And in this episode, Claire actually comes back to our main cast members and she actually has amnesia. She doesn't remember any of them. This is a wonderful uh, character piece for Charlie because I feel that the flashback in this episode uh, really ties into the main storyline that Charlie goes through in this episode. I mean, in the flashback, uh, Charlie ends up kind this woman into a relationship because she uh, understands that she is rich and uh, she has money. And the only reason that Charlie strikes up a re- strikes up a relationship with her is because he wants to steal some of her stuff, and you know, in turn for drugs. And at the end of their relationship, the woman that Charlie cons says something very profound to Charlie. He goes, you can't protect anyone or something to that to that effect. And I think in the present day storyline on the island that compels Charlie to eventually murder our favorite evil Canadian. And that was that was one of those. um shocking moments that they really built to in the episode through the flashbacks of seeing Charlie, you know, trying to, to kind of con this woman, but that's not like his thing. Um, he's going to steal her money, but then he ends up, you know, striking this relationship. He goes and he works for her father, you know, with the copy machines. And, um, when it all comes to, a crashing halt, you know, she, uh, Lucy and Charlie have that scene where she's like, you know, I just like, I, I can't wrap my head around. Like, why did you go to the interview? (laughs) Like if it was just about, you know, drugs. And, um, I like that, you know, yeah, she says like, he is not able to, to rescue anyone or, you know, that kind of thing. And then in that moment, you know, as soon as Charlie gets a gun, you're like, oh, shoot, <laughs> this was a mistake. And uh, he does shoot Ethan before they can get any juicy information out of him. Now, Ethan might not have talked, 
but still for Charlie to cross over into murder, um, you know, revenge for partly protecting Claire, what Ethan did to Claire and what Ethan did to Charlie himself. Um, it was one of those like, whoa, moments that uh, surprised me. The other thing that I had running through my head while I saw Charlie kill Ethan was, okay, you killing Ethan is going to have some external consequences because some some people who you and I know are going to come now and they're going to come with furious anger because you killed one of theirs. I can't remember if we do eventually as we we get in, we get into the later episodes of uh this first season if if they do eventually come because of uh Charlie's ill-timed decision to kill Ethan. Right. I definitely think there are consequences of that down the road and certainly at this point we still don't know you know how many people are on the island and um you know in this batch of episodes and i can't remember if it's this one or not where Locke, you know is screaming like we are not alone on this island like nobody wants to admit that but like we are not um and uh so i i do think that you know everybody when charlie kills ethan in the back of their mind, they must be thinking like, but how many more of them are there? And did we just poke a bear that we shouldn't have? I think a lot of our main casts are aware that, you know, they, uh, they're possibly not the only ones on the island, but I don't think that any of them want to address it with any, with any certainty, because I think they feel more secure in the illusion that they're the only people on that island. I think it's just a point of safety that not a lot of people acknowledge that uh, that there could be more people on the island. But for them not to do that is kind of stupid and paranoid. I mean, for God's sakes, a guy came out of the jungle and killed uh, uh, and killed one of them because you know he lost Claire. Yeah. So they they think that Ethan killed. I think his name is Scott. Scott got murdered on the beach and um that was that was interesting you know the guys escalating it again the other moment that i loved from this episode is a really minor moment where ethan first shows up and he plug and he clocks jin with a with a i don't know what it's called like a slingshot thing or whatever mm-hmm. right and a couple of scenes later when jin is getting uh uh, fixed up by Sun, Sun asks Jin, you know, what do you think is going on, right? And Jin goes, how would I know? I'm just, I'm just the, the, the guy who is oblivious to everything that's going on on the island, right? And I thought, I thought that was very apt because Jin is experiencing all, all that is happening on the island through a, through a lens of ignorance. I mean, even even uh, Hurley brings it up in a later episode, if I'm not mistaken. The last thing that I want to mention about this episode is that um, I'm really wondering what this other group wanted to do with Claire. I got to I got to thinking, and I and I was like, did they want Claire to harvest some sort of fluid from the baby because of 
a condition that one of them may have. Of course, I know what the condition is, and I know what one of them has, but I, I, I don't want to... I don't want to say that because that's that's massively spoilerish. So I don't want to go into that territory, Matt. But when you were watching the show back then, wh- what did you think that Ethan wanted with Claire? Well, I I think it had something to do with the baby, and you know because we know that episode with the psychic that there's something mysterious about Claire's pregnancy. Um, you know where if she doesn't raise the child, then we start to wonder like what's the child's deal. So I I think it was just, you know, okay, there must be something special about this baby that these others that are not really called the others at this point, but the the others, you know, would want for some reason. For my money, I think the only reason why I came up with that theory is because I know who where Ethan comes from and I know his people. Mm-hmm. But when I first watched this series, that didn't even cross my mind. I thought that, I thought that Claire had enough clairvoyance to escape this this madman, basically. Yeah. The uh, the I want do want to mention that one thing I don't particularly love about this episode is the Claire gets amnesia bullshit. <laughs> um, only because amnesia on TV shows is such a tired trope that any show that does amnesia. I just like immediately roll my eyes, even if it's, you know, somehow justified, like, you know, she went through a trauma and all this stuff. Like, I just it's very tough for me to buy full on amnesia. Um, so I did not love that plot point at all. What what would you have done if, if he if he didn't do if he didn't like the amnesia angle? Well, I would have had that she was taken somewhere and you know, blindfolded. So she had no idea whether she was inside, outside or what was happening. Cause the only reason they do it is because they don't want her to, to remember where she was taken and divulge more about the others. Partly because at this point, I don't think the writers knew where she was either. They were making some of that up on the fly. Right. Um, so, so I feel like it was just, uh, rather than have to explain where she was and why it was just a convenient, like, well, we don't want the audience to know this information right now. And even if they knew it, they just didn't want to share it. So they're like, well, let's just give her amnesia easy out, which, which usually lost doesn't take like the easy out. So that's why it stood out to me. Like, okay, great. So like, they don't want to give us any information about where she was. So they just snap their fingers and she doesn't remember. So that to me is like one of those things that just stands out as like, you know, especially for a Lindelof episode, lazy, just, just lazy to me. I'm not defending Damon, but I'm just going to say we all have shitty days at the office. (laughs) I think, uh, Lindelof might've said that this was his least favorite episode of the show. I think that that was a a trivia I read once because I remember he, um, a lot of people were talking about him trashing some other episode, but I seem to think that Homecoming with Charlie was one of the ones that he wrote that he was not necessarily super proud of. You mentioned the writers. One thing that we didn't mention last week is that early on in the first season, after the first six episodes, Damon came to the network and he said, listen, I need some help. I can't run this show by myself, so I just need some help. And that's when... 
one of the big wigs at the network got um, veteran show producer Carlton Cuse to come on and and uh, co-show run the show with Damon. So I just thought that was like an interesting uh, note to add on to there. For sure. And I also want to mention, I did like the, the fight with Ethan and Jack. Again, you know, some nice action thrown in into the middle of an episode that is mostly, you know, deep character based. Um, so their fight echoing their last fight, um, was, was pretty well done. And I enjoyed that. The next episode on our hit list is episode 16 outlaws written by drew Goddard Sawyer episode. And this is my favorite of this batch. Um, again, I just, any of the Sawyer episodes, I usually really enjoy because his character of this con man who had his life ruined by a con man when he was a kid uh, is just fascinating to me. And I love that, you know, Island Sawyer is such a jackass. He's just mean to everyone and, um, you know, always calling people weird names. But I like seeing him in his element and this one, especially in the flashbacks, is great because the con man gets conned (laughs) and it's the most heartbreaking con where in the flashbacks we see Sawyer, you know, in the throes of a job and the T 1000 shows up and says, dude, I have found the, the guy, the guy who ruined your life and he's hanging out in Australia and here's where you can find him. And if you want to go and get revenge or whatever you got to do, I just thought I'd give you that information. And I love to see, you know, Sawyer cozy up to this guy and they're having like a, you know, a a good chat and Sawyer gets his revenge. And then he finds out that this guy never was the man. It was just a guy who crossed the T 1000 and, um, Sawyer was played. So I, I like that, you know, even though we, we know that Sawyer is this manipulative con guy in the flashbacks, his emotions can still override his logical thinking. And that childhood trauma is still something that drives him even when he should stop and start to question motives because he more than anyone will know that you can't trust people but that that trauma and that need for some sort of closure and validation keeps driving him forward, um, even when it shouldn't. I like the fact, uh, like you said, Matt, that uh, Robert Patrick used Sawyer's guilt, uh, used Sawyer's trauma as a kid to sort of steer him in a direction to killing someone who really wasn't responsible for his mother's death with that being said though i was kind of confused because i was like okay so how can somebody else be alive who was responsible for his mother's death wasn't the person who was responsible for his mother's death die on his bed when he was a kid did i just miss something there uh well so the person who died on his bed as a kid was his dad So his dad murdered his mom and then killed himself. Uh, But he did it because his mom lost all the money with the man that swindled her. So in that moment when he's under the bed and hiding, it's because his father, who 
you know, is in a, a rage is um, the mom is afraid that the dad is going to hurt uh, James in anger because of what she did. And she was right to hide him because it's a murder-suicide situation, which is horrible. But that's that's how that went down. Uh, for for some reason, that didn't compute in my head. So that that's where all the uh, the confusion about this episode came for me. And uh, and Robert Patrick's motive for uh, for store for steering uh, James in that direction was mm-hmm. confusing was confusing for me. But thanks, Matt, for clearing that up. Well, yeah. And so what I like is that it does show that. Um, Sawyer has opened up to people and it actually has been to his detriment because the only way that Robert Patrick knows about this history is that obviously Sawyer got close enough to Hibbs um, that he told them the truth about how he became a con man and what happened to his parents. And that guy takes that personal deep deeply painful information and uses it against him. Um, Which continues to show why Sawyer has these walls up and uses his, his rude humor as a defense mechanism, because even when he did open up to someone who he thought was like, you know, of his kind and, and that he could trust the guy used his most personal information against him just to take out a guy who owed him money, which is, you know, so egregious. Like it just pisses me off knowing that another con man could break kind of like a criminal code in that way. Um, but it, it just reinforced that, you know, why Sawyer has these walls up even still on the Island after everything seems to have, you know, come crashing down. Uh, I also loved in the flashback that Sawyer and, and Christian Shepard, Jack's dad had that moment in the bar. And it's heartbreaking when we go back to the island time and Sawyer puts two and two together and realizes that the man he talked to in the bar was Jack's dad. And he has information that can really ease like big time. A lot of Jack's mental pain and suffering over the guilt of what he did to his father. If Sawyer were to share this info, but in that moment, Jack treats Sawyer with hostility and Sawyer in like a spiteful little child way decides not to share that info with him because Jack was being mean to him. Um, which, you know, we know that maybe that information will come in handy later or come out in some way, but it's heartbreaking because we see, you know, Sawyer putting two, two, two and two together and the look on his face when it dawns on him and he knows like, you know, Jack deserves to know this, but again, those walls come up because him and Jack don't get along that he doesn't share it. And it's like, Oh man, like that could have been the moment that solidified those two together right now, rather than having to wait a lot longer for them to actually form some sort of bond. Um, but I thought that that dramatic irony was played really well. And especially just the look on Josh Holloway's face after Jack says those phrases. And he asks him like, why did he say that? You know, says a lot about what's going on with, with Sawyer. 
I think you bring up a very interesting point about uh, Sawyer's walls. I mean, for for the most part, Sawyer really doesn't let anyone in throughout the course of the series. I mean, give or take when he when he shacks up with a certain someone on the island, but that really doesn't last mm-hmm. uh, uh, for, for for that long. But he really doesn't open up until he meets, you know, a particular blonde person on the island. Right. But to actually uh, move to your point further, that scene with Christian and James in the bar really struck home with me because it's in that scene that we that we really find out how Christian is proud of his son and is thankful for what Jack did to him. Mm-hmm. And for me, um, like so many, like so many moments in loss for me that that particular scene has a personal tinge to it because um my uh my dad uh was uh, was murdered when i was in junior high and i never got the chance to really a fatherly relationship with him because i was raised by my grandparents but right. i you know i always wanted to tell him how thankful I was to him and how much I loved him and and how much I appreciated him as a father figure but I never got that chance to and I you know as I as I watched the scene play um between Sawyer and Christian I you know questions in my head started to run you know, would my dad be proud of me? Would my dad be proud of the fact that I became a writer or a podcaster? Or right. what would my dad think of me? Right. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I was looking for that same I was looking for a similar validation to to, to what Jack was looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, neither of us will ever get it. We can only we right. can only imagine what our parents, you know, really think of us and what they would really say to us uh, today if they were here. And I think that's something that they probably consciously knew a lot of people in a similar situation to yours. You know, if you've lost a parent and you never got to say goodbye or have like that, that moment um, will be one of those, you know, baggages that you carry around forever. And that's why like these characters, that is relatable, that that would be something that, that would happen to one of them. Um, There are a lot of people who can connect with that and it's, you know, something you just have to learn to to live with, I would assume. For me personally, uh, I mean, my my dad was killed back in two thousand back in two thousand three. But still, you know, there's not like a single day that I don't think about him and, right. and what he would say or you know or whatever. So I just so that scene in particular, I I thought it was masterfully written, and uh, it impacted me greatly. Yeah, for sure, and I did like the the parallels with the on the island and the boar and you know Sawyer hunting it and then discovering the baby and then not being able to kill it um was was an interesting juxtaposition with the past where we find out you know Sawyer has killed and on the island because now Charlie has just killed someone so he's going to have to deal with that um weighing on him and that we find out you know in their their game of I never um, that Kate has also killed someone, which we already knew, but the people on the Island sort of now know. Um, So I, I do think that, you know, this life and death and the, 
the weight of taking someone's life and the not knowing um, are interesting themes that Lost is is tackling head on. I think that this batch especially really uh, uh, rings home the the overall uh, mission statement of Lost. I mean, you can correct me if you think it's something else, but I think the overall mission statement of Lost is is one of redemption. Mm-hmm. And it was really interesting to me that Sawyer had this issue with this boar messing up his tent throughout the entire episode. I thought that the boar was a reincarnation of his abusive father. Fuck even brings up reincarnation when he talks about this Labrador that uh, uh, magically showed up in their lives after his uh, his sister actually broke her neck when she fell off the swing set. I just thought that this episode was really, really great for some of the themes that it touched, like we pointed out. Yeah, and you know what? You have a point with all of that, and I think that it did such a good job that part of the pro- part of the problem is that, you know, right around here was where certainly a lot of fan theories were like, oh, the island is like a purgatory and everybody has to work towards redemption before their soul can find peace and they can move on or whatever. Um, which maybe it, because they did such a good job with a lot of these themes, they tip their hand too much. But that's kind of like up for debate in the grand scheme of of what the original plan was and how they ended up wrapping the show. Which brings us to the final episode of this batch. Episode 17, dot, 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 in translation, a Jin-centric episode. So a lot of the flashback episodes that he is in are usually like Jin and Sun kind of tandem episodes. But this one's much more just about Jin. Um... Again, I love Jin and Son, but I kind of find their flashback episodes to be my some of my least favorite. Um, with the exception of the final part of this episode for Jin. Um, so, you know, much of it is him dealing with Mr. Pike, Son's father. Um, we see him, you know, all optimistic asking for her hand in marriage and agreeing to take the job. We see him doing the job and discovering that the job is not what he thought it would be. That Jin is kind of a a hired thug almost for this really dirty businessman. And it's breaking Jin's heart because son doesn't know that her father is, is kind of like this criminal asshole. <laughs> and so that's weighing on Jin, which is straining their relationship, which, you know, in their previous episode that focused on, on their past, we saw son being frustrated by their relationship falling apart. And now we kind of understand that it is Jin's love of son that has led to this bad place because he doesn't want to be honest with her because she thinks so much of her father that he's afraid if he's the one who tells her the truth about her dad, she'll kind of resent him for, for telling her the truth. Um, and the whole time this episode is going, we keep thinking that Jin himself doesn't have family. And it's in those final moments of his flashback where he goes to visit this guy on a boat, just a fisherman. And he says, you know, 
father, I, it's been a long time and I like, I needed to see you and you know, I, I'm so sorry. I was ashamed of you. So like, that is why I have not been back and I've cut you out of my life. Um, and I, I like that his dad says like, you know what? Go to America, save your marriage. Like you got to do what you got to do. And he doesn't say like he forgives him for it, but it's kind of implied that, you know, he understands. Um, and that moment added a lot to Jin overall for me. Um, especially because, you know, we're like, oh, this is so sad that he was ashamed of his father. who's just like a hardworking guy, but his dad's a compassionate guy and he can understand that, you know, love makes you do crazy things and that now he's he's willing to let him his son go if it means that his son can find the happiness that he's been chasing and hasn't really been able to find um so that was the kind of the redeeming part of the episode for me because some of the the flashbacks for Jin and son just don't capture my attention as much the thing that i love about the flashbacks of Jin and son is the the choice i mean i've mentioned it before but the choice by the writers and the editors to have them speak in their natural language now you guys may be think you guys may be thinking that i'm obsessed with reading subtitles and i actually just let me point out i hate reading subtitles but for some reason in this particular show i think it's it was such a good choice for them to do that uh, with that being said, I think that this episode does a really interesting thing. It puts together one particular scene, the, the, the scene of Jin coming home with, the, with his bloody hands. I did find it interesting that Jin's father was apparently this, this big, you know, boss gangster in uh, Korea. Like he had like this big car company. Right? Yeah. I think it was a car company. Was it a car company, Matt? I think it was a car company. Yeah, it's an auto autom like they yeah, they manufacture automobile um parts. Felt bad for Jin because of the love that he had for Son that he had to basically become a monster. But on that same note, when he actually beat the crap out of that out of that out of that gentleman who uh owed Son's father money I thought it was very, very nice of him to say as he was kicking the crap out of him, I just saved your life. Because right. the guy the, the guy that he came there with had a had a had a gun and he was gonna shoot him. Yeah. Um also it was kind of cool that we do find out where that dog came from. In an earlier episode, we see uh Jin come home with this dog and we don't know where it came from, but it, it was kind of cool that we do find out where that dog came from. And the last thing I'll say about this episode is I love the fact that when Jin goes to see this guy that owes son's father money, um, when he, when, when this guy takes uh, his uh, daughter's dog on the TV, she's watching this guy get into, the, get into a car and the guy getting into the car is Hurley. So I did think that was cool. And again, there was on the island when um, Walt and Locke are playing backgammon. Walt brags to Locke that Hurley owes him $83,000. And because uh, I think the next episode coming up is going to be the Hurley one. So I thought that was good. Um, 
I do like that those small touches of people showing up even for just a moment um, in the flashbacks or whatever. I, I like that. Uh, so that was cool. And on the island, there is a lot of drama that was more interesting to me than the flashback stuff um, with the raft being torched and wondering who did it, why, and for Sun having to admit that she knows English. And that moment is is huge between her and Jin. And it also changes everybody's perception of her on the island. Um, so they're, you know... Like I said, I'm not a huge fan of the flashbacks necessarily, but the on-island stuff in this was quite good. And um, yeah, I guess this is the episode where Locke says, you know, we're not the only people on this island and we all know it because it's when they're trying to figure out who burnt the raft. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it might not have been Jin as Michael jumps to conclusions. And then that reveal later that it was Walt um, and Locke, kind of susses this out and it's just because Walt likes the island and he doesn't want to move again. He's, he's sick of kind of being bounced around between, you know, his stepfather, his father, um, that he, he just wants some normalcy for a while as a kid. And even if it's just this island, he's content to be there with his dad and doesn't want them to be chasing some sort of false hope, which for a kid is kind of <laughs> a deep, you know, big thing. But I liked that, that we got this drama um, that finally brought out the truth about son knowing English, which will help help make communication between them and the rest of the Islanders easier. It The look that Daniel Day Kim gives her after he finds out uh, said so much that, you know, it's shock. It's kind of pain um, where like he's starting to run through his mind. Like, why does she, why does she know this? And why does she keep it from me? And then, you know, she, she tells him in that one scene. Um, so the on Island stuff in this episode is the stuff that really I, I was drawn to more so than the flashbacks. So, you know, I sounded a little bit dismissive at the start, but Overall, the on-island stuff was really engaging and and did further a lot of the character and some of the key plot points that will be important going into these last, you know, eight episodes or whatever it is. I would love to give out a special thanks to the production design of uh, Lost Season 1 because I love that boat. Yeah. I, 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 I think whoever designed that thing uh, was a genius. The one thing that sort of bugged me throughout these three episodes is that, and and this is completely kind of out of left field, but just go with me for a second. Yeah. I hate the fact that everybody seems to undermine Boom for some reason. Like, nobody gives a shit about Boom. And it is true. Um, and maybe part of it is like, everybody thinks Boone is rich, spoiled, pretty boy. So like, why would they listen to him? Why would they they care about what he thinks? Yeah. I think that's just like a a a judgment jump that they make based on knowing that he he comes from like wealth and the dude's looks. I mean, I think that Boone really becomes interesting when his overall story is more uh 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 
filtered out, so to speak. I mean, we we know his backstory, but something else happens uh, later on uh, with a plane mm-hmm. that uh, is is interesting. In, in the whole fever of trying to figure out who burned the boat, when Michael tries to confront Jin to ask him why he burned down the boat, uh, Jin actually hears everybody talk around him and we actually hear what he hears mm-hmm. which is uh which i thought was a very very interesting editorial choice by the editor uh uh mary joe uh brennan to actually do i, I thought i thought that was great yeah i really like that because it it puts us in his shoes for a minute which goes a long way into even just for a second kind of getting the feeling of how isolating it must be to be let alone on this island, like everybody else feels so isolated and cut off. But to be on an island with people who are not speaking a language you understand would be like a nightmare, a nightmare scenario for most people that takes the nightmare from a 10 to an 11, right? So I did think that was really interesting that they they did that in a way um, that didn't hit us over the head, but also put you in his shoes at that moment. I did find the progression of the Shannon and the Saeed relationship interesting. And I love the fact that Shannon and Locke have a have a, a quick moment, uh, I believe it's in this episode, where Locke says, we all get a fresh start on this island, Shannon. And I think it's time that you, that, 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 that you take your fresh start and you move forward. Mm-hmm. Of course, when he says that, we know that what he says means more to him than she knows. Right. Uh, based on, you know, the fact that before he came to the island, he was in a wheelchair for mysterious reasons that we know that, that we don't know yet. Yeah. Which, you know, in his everyday life, he's not Mr. Adventure. And if he told people he worked at a box company, they would believe him. Whereas a few episodes ago where he told Boone that he worked for a box company. Boone didn't believe him because this is Mr. Adventure. Like he uh, can't possibly. So his new life is, is going, he's living it. Cause that was a really interesting moment with him and Shannon and Shannon then deciding that um, Saeed is part of that, that new life. Really quick here, Matt, what do you, what do you think is the deal? Uh, wh- why do you think that Boone feels such a loyalty to Locke? Because right now, He's basically like John's guard dog, for God's sakes. I think part of it is just because no one else, no one else seems to really like Boone. The fact that even though Locke is kind of mean to him sometimes, just the fact that they're spending time together and they have this bond because they are still the only people who really know about the hatch. Um, I think that's kind of what, what threw them together and have made them you know, thick and thin for now um, because Boone has no one else. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, even if somebody's not super nice to you, if they're the only person paying you any attention, you're going to find an attachment somehow. So that is episodes 15, 16 and 17 of lost season one. If you made it this far, we appreciate it. If you have any questions for me, hit me up on Twitter at Matt Crandall. Marcelo, where's the best place for the people to reach you? If you have any questions for me, you can also hit me up on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88.
If you have any general comments or questions about the show, tweet, use the hashtag Radio815. If you like the show, please follow, subscribe, um, leave a comment on Apple Podcasts or whatever you're listening to this on. Um, Let the people know. If you don't, then hush your mouth and... (laughs) thanks for listening even though you don't like the show i appreciate it we will be back next week talking about lost season one episodes 18 19 and 20 so if you are following along with us those are the ones to watch this week and anybody out in canada lost hit disney plus this past week so all six seasons are now streaming on Disney Plus. They used to be on Prime. They disappeared from Prime. So if you're in Canada and you're looking for a place to watch Lost in high def on streaming, it is now on Disney Plus. Uh, so I just thought you should know that. And we appreciate everybody who has listened to the show so far. We hope to see you next week as we get into some deep trouble on the island and hopefully do no harm. So until then, we will talk back soon. <laughs>